Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast, where we have conversations with guests about their life, loss, grief, and of course, grief dreams, which can be dreams of the deceased. If you want to know more about the topic and your hosts, please visit our website at griefdreams.ca. To support our podcast, please go ahead and rate it. For additional ways to support us, please refer to our show notes. Before we move on with the show, we'd like to give a territory acknowledgement. Long before Canada was formed, the Stalo people were the original land stewards, and they have lived here since time immemorial. They continue to live in the unceded Stalo territory, known to settlers as the Fraser Valley and Lower Fraser Canyon of British Columbia. We recognize and honor the contribution that Indigenous people have made and continue to make to our community and the topic of great dreams. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. And today we have a special episode where we get to go over the 2023 Grief Dream recaps from all of our previous guests this last year. And so you have Jade and myself on the podcast today. So Jade, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to having this summary episode and just take a moment to reflect on all the beautiful guests we've had for 2023. I know we're a little bit late in launching this. We're into February, well into February, but in any event, I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I always love these episodes because we have to do, we have to reflect on it and we have to hear some really amazing dreams all together in one episode. And I always like looking back on these episodes So let's begin. So we have episode 216 with Dr. Kathy Blicky, and she is the professor emerita of psychology at Brock University, and she was my PhD supervisor for over four years. And so in this episode, she talks about her dreams of her deceased cats and one of her grandmother. Take a listen. And it's interesting because my I was thinking of, about my own dreams of the deceased before I, because uh, here we are, we're going to be talking about this topic generally. And I wonder if one of the reasons why I don't think to raise it very often is I haven't had much of my own. And the ones I've had are of two varieties. I, I've only actually had one dream of a human loss bereavement that I'd love to share in a minute because it's, it's kind of unique and I think it's worth... Um, it's that old thing of I tend to go after the stuff that gets overlooked and this type of dream gets overlooked. So I, I will come back to it. But the mostly when I have dreams of the deceased, it's of my dead animals. And they are those, but those dreams are not encounter dreams. I remember when I did that first little study of Norman Gulko and his, uh, at that point, 11 year diary of dreams of his uh, wife who had died. I noticed that the dreams seemed to be sortable into dreams of an encounter where it was as if he was encountering her now in this moment versus the majority of the dreams where it seemed like she was just like any other element of the dream. She was a symbol. It wasn't really an encounter with the flow of his marriage. It was flow now was acting in the dream the way any object or person in the dream is a symbol for an idea in dreams we don't use words we use images and sequences of action to convey ideas and to do our thinking we're thinking through images we're thinking through story rather than through words and all of my dreams of the of deceased cats I always when I wake up in the morning it's always a treat because I sort of feel like I've had a visit of sorts with them but in the dream these are just dreams as symbols I've had a whole sequence recently where I suddenly in the dream realized oh I haven't fed, fill in the blank, Sam, Ashley, Nikki, or Pony in, in years. <laughs> are they, where are they? I haven't changed their litter. It's like I sort of vaguely remember, I thought they died, but no, no, they're here somewhere. And I find them and they're always looking a little worse for wear, a little dusty, but, but they're still okay. And so I get them clean litter and get them clean food. And I have no doubt that these are dreams about I'm neglecting something in my life. And uh, uh, and I haven't quite yet sorted out what that is. And the problem with dreams is dreams lack volume control. So it could be something huge and important, or it could be some trivial thing that that day before I neglected. So this might be a good time to tell you this one dream, because it's one that I continue to come back to and think about. Like one lone dream of, of a deceased person. Now, the, though there may have been two. So the, it was preceded by, it was a dream about my grandmother. But a few years before she died, my great-grandmother, who was a larger-than-life person, um, ferocious. Whenever anybody dies in our collective family, inevitably, we end up talking about great-grandma. <laughs> 
it's because she just loomed so large. She smoked, uh, chain smoked. She was lived right to the last days in her own little apartment. She was crusty. She kept the apartment like 90 degrees and she had this humongous vicious cat that would attack you. And if you try to do anything to stop that cat's attack, she'd scream at you, don't touch that cat. So she was just... Uh, so one night in uh, when I was an uh, undergraduate and I was in residence, I had my own single room, about two in the morning or so, I woke up and the room was stifling hot and filled with cigarette smoke. And in the darkness, I, and oddly enough, I wasn't scared, thinking there was something on fire. I was just puzzled. And then the thought came to me, grandma's died. And the moment I had that thought, the air cleared, the temperature went back to normal, and I fell asleep. And a few hours later, my mother called was six or seven. She had a bad habit in those days of calling around six and seven. I kept telling her, Mom, I'm a student. I'm up studying late. I'm never up before eight or nine. Stop this. And I got to the point of being kind of rude and I just hang up on her. So she calls somewhere around six or seven, tells me, Grandma's died. I was exhausted because they had woken up in the middle of the night. And so I said to her, I know. I got to get sleep. Talk to you later. Hug and of course she was left. What do you mean you knew? <laughs> so, so that was the that was my first experience of somebody close to me dying. And I assumed from that that thereafter, whenever anybody died, I'd know about it because I I wasn't of all the grandchildren. I was probably the least close to my great grandmother because we traveled so much. So I thought, okay, this seems to be some kind of ability. Well, that has never happened since. But a few years later, my grandmother dies. I don't have any kind of message come to me. But then I thought, well, maybe tonight I'll have a dream. Well, I did. And what a dream. I'm at the funeral her funeral and half the uh, it was sort of the funeral which in the dream happened in the funeral home so there's people mulling around half the people were living half the people were dead so half the guests were dead they looked just like living people but somehow we all knew who was alive and who was dead and we're all mingling and chatting and and getting honoring the memory of of my grandmother who's died then the time came to sit down for the service and i sat down i was in the front row and we're sort of settling and i feel a hand on my arm i look over and it's my grandmother and she's in agony she's in agony and she's looking at me with horror in her face and in agony i wake up and now i just go to pieces because of that dream i'd had with my or that experience i had with with the smoke and the, was that a dream? Was that a, who knows, whatever that was. And so I'm assuming something awful is happening right now to my dead grandmother. And for the, the, the real funeral happened a day later, I'm trying to ask people if they had any, any sense of how grandma's doing. And uh, without sort of telling them what my dream was, I told my husband, I was in pieces day after day. I was weeping. I was beside myself. I was furious at, uh, with God. I was sort of a pre-Christian at that point. I was attending church, but I was outside looking in. But the con I liked this concept of a God, all powerful, knowing, all loving. And I, I was just furious. How could God allow this? I assumed the dream was true. And about three or four days later, I was going to uh, class. Uh, I was in graduate school now. And I remember the moment I got out of the car, I parked the car, it was across the parking lot, was across the street from the university. And just as I, it was a busy street, I always had to stop and navigate um, uh, several lanes of traffic to get across because none of us would walk down to the lights, of course. And, and the thought came to me, something is alive. Are there several thousand years of experience with God, which has had people, including people who've been through horror shows, conclude that God is powerful and loving and good and kind? Or either that's a lie or the dream is a lie. And I thought, well, if I have to vote between several thousand years of human experience or my single dream, I'm going with the human experience. The dream's a lie. And as soon as I said that to myself, it was kind of like when that smoke left and heat left my residence room, boom, the, the angst was gone, the pain was gone, the, um, the, that uh, fury was gone. And I sensed just, it, you know, it wasn't a voice. It wasn't, as you said, said Jade, we can have these very, um, we can see people, we can hear people. It wasn't like that, but it was just like a whisper of joy from my grandmother of, I'm fine. 
So, you know, those kinds of dreams, we, I don't think we've seen anything quite like that in our research, Joshua, that I remember. Maybe you've heard them, something like that from other people. But, you know, we've, uh, you know, we have at times talked about how, you know, in scripture, there's a lot of positive things said about dreams. But again, sometimes people overlook that scripture also warns that dreams can deceive. So when we're talking about don't read too much into emotion control, emotion, uh, the, the volume control on emotion, maybe don't read too much into the content. If it's out of character with the person, there's many things that could be going on in that. That particular dream continues to be a mystery to me because I remembered a lot of dreams in my life and so I recognize it as being quite unique in several features. But I have long since learned that, um, you know, if I have a, a a dream that someone I know and care about acts in a horrible way, I don't wake up the next day and look at them askance. I, mean, I will give some thought to, hmm, am I missing something I should have noticed in them? But, or is it that they're standing in for a kind of paradox or something? So we we, we just want to handle dreams with some, um, there's great wisdom to be found in dreams, but they're not like books where you can just simply read it out. You need to handle them with a light touch. And if it's not fitting and not making sense, you'll have more dreams, you'll have more thoughts. Don't let any one experience like that determine how you think or feel about something that's important to you. Great. Love that. Love that episode with Dr. Balicki. She's just such an interesting person and just that was just a throwback to university days and just so amazing to have you know things come full circle and to be able to have your supervisor on and and just engage in a really cool conversation so love that um next we have episode 217 suzanne falter she was a writer podcaster and essayist and she shares dreams of her daughter and brother-in-law take a listen yeah, really interesting story about that, actually. I have a friend who I sang with in a choir. I write about her in Pre-Spirited. I called her Wendy, a pseudonym. And Wendy came over one day to rehearse, and she's like, there's a really intense spirit in this house, this young female spirit. And I said, oh, that's probably my daughter, Teal, who passed away in 2012. And she said, yeah, she's holding out a book. And she's saying, and this book is glowing. Now, what's interesting is I had had a dream of Teal coming to me holding out a book, and it was glowing. And in the dream, Teal said, this is a very important book. And I knew it was this book I'd been working on. And at the time, I had just connected with an agent who was interested in the book. So here's Wendy saying, Teal is holding out this book. The other dream I had that was cool was that I had been kind of haunted for a good four or five years by a bad relationship I'd been in that ended just before Teal died. And the person I was involved with was a narcissist and an unkind person. And I had taken some abuse and I was very angry at her. And the predominant feeling of my grief at the time was anger. And I wasn't angry at God. I was angry at this former partner for reasons that had nothing to do with Teal's death. But it was like I finally had permission to feel my anger and I was feeling it because I wasn't really expressing it in the relationship. And in the dream, I was in a cocktail party with Teal and she was in her 30s and she was wearing this very stylish dress and she, she really looked kind of like a pulled together adult, you know, because when she passed away, she was still a young woman who wore kind of jeans and sneakers and such. And here she was looking kind of stylish. And she looked at me and smiled and then she nodded. And over in the corner, I saw my former partner. And I walked towards her, understanding that Teal was telling me, go forgive her, just forgive her, just let go of this. And it was a healing dream, and I did let go of her. We looked at each other, and she said, oh, I really like what you're wearing, which which she totally would have said in a good mood. And um, Teal was kind of in the background, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, there were moments, there continued to be moments where she was really helping me get over myself, basically. And the interesting thing is I haven't dreamt about her much for the last few years. I, I think she's sort of passed by quickly. But I have dreamt about some other people who passed away, including my brother-in-law, who died a little over a year ago. And I dreamt that he came to me. I had had a lot of uh, really healing conversations with his widow, who was my half-sister. And in the dream, he came to me and, and was very gracious and lovely. And... Um, 
I felt his heart in a way I didn't usually feel. And, and he gave me a very positive message to pass on to her. And it was just, it was a real love dream, you know? I thank you so much, Suzanne, for coming on and sharing those dreams with us. And so next we have episode 218, Fiona Tinwai Lam, who is an author and teacher. And so she shares a dream of her father. And I realized after the session that there was something pretty deep going on inside, a very deep repressed grief. And after that session, I had a a nap or an evening little doze or something. And it was an incredible experience because for the very first time, I could see my dad and, and he was not sick. He was just walking, looking pretty healthy. And it was amazing because after his passing, I had not been able to envision my dad at all. I, I was 11 years old. So there was this vacuum. It's like I'd look at his pictures and I just couldn't remember who he was. It's as if the time in the hospital had sort of wiped out everything and the sadness had wiped out everything. And so seeing my dad looking healthy and vibrant and happy uh, was really deeply comforting to me because it reminded me that there was a connection still there. It wasn't this sort of terrible, dark abyss of nothingness. There was a presence there that I could connect to and, and visualize. So that stayed with me and was very comforting. So other times I could sort of remember that image that I had. If I was meditating, if I was just sort of sitting quietly, and uh, if I was scared, Uh, When I was giving birth, I was a bit scared because things were going a bit sideways. So I really concentrated on visualizing my dad as if he were there. And it it helped really totally calm my nervous system and make me feel uh, less alone. Oh, and that's beautiful. I love that episode. And next we have episode 219, Dr. Donna Stoneham. And she's an author and she shares a dream of her mom. I've had a number of dreams with her. Just a few that that I can recall. I mean, the one, the big one I told you about, the dream of the black wolf, that was huge. But um, I've I've had a few dreams. One was she shortly after she died. So my mom, as I mentioned, had this best friend at the assisted living center. Her name was Adeline, and maybe it was three or four weeks after she died. I had a dream in which it was like a beautiful Maxfield Parish painting, almost setting, beautiful hues of pastels everywhere, luscious green lawn, white granite, gorgeous building. And I heard my mother's voice. I didn't see her, but I heard her voice. And she said, honey, it's me. And I was like, wow. And she said, I want you to tell Adeline that I'm here waiting when she's ready. I'm here to help her adjust. Make sure she gets the message. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. What's Adeline gonna think when I tell her my dead mother has come in? giving me this message for her. So we had lunch, Adeline and I had lunch like two days later, which was already scheduled. And I told her about the dream and Adeline said, well, you know, Donna, I've never believed in the afterlife, but if your mother's there, I think I need to change my mind. So that was one. So sometimes they were really instructive dreams. Another dream, a few weeks after that, she showed up at our house and she was wearing two pairs of glasses. Now, Normally, my mother wore, she had macular degeneration. She was legally blind. So she had always wore glasses and she had to look out of the side of her eye to see things. And she knocked on the door, I opened the door and I I was, mama, it's you. And I threw my arms around her and she threw her arms around me. But it was kind of like, why are you so, you know, over emotional almost from her? I saw the two pairs of glasses and she wore two watches at the end of her life. Because she, she was afraid one of them wouldn't keep the right time. So if she had two, then she could double check, right? So um, I, I freaked out because I was like, oh my gosh, we've already sold all her stuff. We've, we've gotten rid of her stuff. I have all her bags of clothes in the garage. We've, we don't have her apartment anymore. What are we going to do? She's going to be so upset she doesn't have anywhere to go. And then she kind of just disappeared in the dream. And I later came to realize she has two pairs of glasses because she now has a spiritual lens and an earthly lens to look through. And she wanted me to know that. Like, I got this now, you know, like, don't worry about it. 
Another dream I had, I was buying her a sweater in Carmel, where a Christmas sweater, where a kitschy Christmas sweater. She loved those. And um, this was in the summer, like after she died in February. And she shows up in the store. And I said, Mama, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? And she said, well, Jack drove me. And that was my stepfather. He had died eight years before she did. He just said, he drove me. And I said, why are you here now? I thought you weren't coming until Christmas. And she said, I figured you needed me now. So you needed me more now. So, you know, that was one just to remind me that she was there, not to worry. She was, you know, she had my back. So yes, I, I've had a lot of dreams with her, with those themes, either an instruction or, you know, I'm, I'm here for you or many, many different kinds of dreams with her. Okay. Thank you, Donna, for coming on the podcast and sharing that with us. So next we have episode 220 with Krishma Aurora. She is a poet, writer, and public speaker. And so here she shares dreams of her son, friend, and grandmother. Yes. So I've had, um, I've had dreams about my son and I've actually not had those dreams in many years, but the years following his death, like, um, say the first few years I did have dreams and it was interesting but it was really the same dream it was the same dream that I had repeatedly and the dream would be that I was in a house and someone said to me that Kabir is here he's come and he's waiting in that room or he's in that closet or he's waiting in there and I would feel such emotions where emotions I could not contain like of happiness and of longing and wanting to see him because I was missing him. And so I would go run to that room and open the door in hopes of finding him and the room would be empty and he wouldn't be there. And then I would wake up from the dream in tears, feeling empty again, empty inside. And those that was my dream of him every time it was strange that it was the same dream multiple times. The dream never changed. I never found him. I always hoped he was going to be there, but he never was. But I haven't had that dream in many years since. I have experienced other loss and have had other dreams, but I don't know if you want to ask about that. Yeah. yeah, so wow, that's such a heartbreaking dream to have and have to wake up from over and over and over again. But you, you definitely sort of see that longing to see your son, right? Like you definitely see that. And it's probably something you're processing. And dreams are, it can like, depending on what culture you're from, Western culture, dreams really can reflect our waking emotions and how, what we're trying to process. And, you know, it's, it's sad that some people have to have those dreams and other people have these dreams where there is that longing, but they get a chance to see the person, yes. you know? Right. And so you've never had a chance to actually see your son in a, in a dream then? Wow. Never. I've seen other people. I've seen deceased grandparents. Recently, I lost a very old friend of mine uh, who was also my neighbor growing up. He died suddenly in a, uh, in a motorbike accident. And I actually found myself grieving and mourning for a long time. And I had, and I think it was because I had regret and guilt. You know, I, I, wasn't as good about keeping in touch as he was. I wasn't, what was my last reply? I had to check and why didn't I ever really tell him that I loved him, but he knew I did. And there was a lot of that and there was a lot of self doubt. And uh, it took me like more than a month of like not sleeping well and, and having dreams of him. And then finally there was one dream after weeks and weeks, he finally, like I, I tried to talk to him to say, um, not in the dream, but I tried to like when praying, say to him that I hope you know, if you can hear me, if you're there, I hope you know that I always loved you and care about you and I hope, wish you are at peace, you know? And I mean, he died very young. He was only 41. And uh, so it was a great tragedy for his family who I loved dearly. And then one night he came into my dream and he was 10 years younger, like when we were a little bit younger, and he would, he had that same mischievous smile he always had. And I said, I, I saw him and I said, you're here. And 
I just, I wanted to tell you that I love you. You know that, right? And he said, of course I know you love me and I love you. And we hugged. It was that embrace. It was such a powerful dream and so much comfort in it that I knew it was real, that literally his spirit had come to me to say, it's okay, you don't need to be guilty uh, of anything. You know, we always picked up wherever we left off kind of thing. And that was it. When I woke up after that morning, I was fine. In a way, I was cured. I was cured from the dream because I knew, I knew that those emotions, that that, that, that was real. Wow. Like, you're totally two different types of dreams. <laughs> yeah. yeah, completely different, right? But what power that, like, I guess they both had power. One was more in the negative. This was more yeah. just really helping with the healing process. But it's amazing that, like, one dream can just change everything. That's what happened with me, too. It's just, like, the one dream can change everything. And you're like, what What, what was that? And, like, why, yeah. did, why did it take so long? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I was like, yeah. We couldn't arrive a month earlier, you know, before I didn't sleep for a month. <laughs> I would do. But I'm so I'm so happy and like I love the way you've ex- you've explained it. Just really to to capture the essence of how powerful and loving that was, and just yeah. it said a short dream, but it just meant the world too. And you can still probably like a lot of people say they can go back to that dream still and feel what it feels like. Is that true to, with you too? Yes, I can totally remember the feeling of the embrace and the the love see that's why it felt so real it was because you just felt this overwhelming like love like there's like a glow of love so like you knew so when you woke up you were a hundred percent sure that he had come in spirit to to give you that love like that it didn't just like it wasn't my imagination you know what i mean and i felt something and i always know that spirits in a way and messages universal messages are there because when i got married this is another off-track dream my grandmother who i loved dearly and grew up with as a child uh, had passed away actually had been murdered when she was in india and i mean we weren't with her at the time but i remember feeling this great like an injustice had been done to her i mean she was an old woman and People had broken into her house and they ended up hurting her and then she died as a result. And I remember what a terrible loss it was and how scary it was to imagine how she died. And at the same time, years later, I was getting married and there was something about, because I wasn't having an arranged marriage, I sort of met my husband on my own and then we had some you could say uh, like some people were against us getting married and so before we got married like I guess there must have been some sort of doubt in my mind like am I doing the right thing and I had this dream where my deceased grandmother came to me and in that dream I was wearing a very light pink Indian wedding outfit with silver diamante crystals and in the dream and my grandmother came to me and she gave me something and she gave me a blessing she gave me her blessing and she said you'll be fine it was something about how everything will be fine like she reassured me and then she left but what's scary and eerie about this dream is i didn't have my bridal outfit at that time Months later, my mother and my sister went to India because I couldn't leave my job. I was working at the time. I couldn't get a break to go. They went and they did my shopping. Now you have to understand, I got married 21 years ago. So there was no FaceTime and there was no like, I'll, I'll, I'll text you a picture. No, no. It was like, when we get back to our hotel and we'll pick up the phone and hopefully you'll still be awake and we'll speak and we'll tell you on the phone what your bridal outfit looks like what your outfits look like okay when they brought that outfit back to new york and i saw it i was freaked out because it was the outfit that was in my dream with my grandmother i'm getting chills right now chills just retelling the dream i'm telling you these dreams they don't come up there they don't they don't are not just what you're feeling in the day or what you were thinking about in the day some dreams are real messages you know 
Beautiful. I really enjoyed that episode. It was great. And she's just a, such a beautiful person in general. So love that. Next, we have episode 221, Kathy Sinowski. She's a poetry teacher, author, a chapter leader of the Compassionate Friends, a support group for bereaved parents. She shares some poetry around her son's death and just a really beautiful account of her grief journey. So take a listen. But I did have a dream six months after he died and I'm glad I didn't intend to read that poem about the empty room but I'm glad I've sort of introduced you to the room now because it begins in his room. Six months after he died I opened a desk and found his journal and that's how the poem starts. The poem is called Alex and the Bear. Six months after my son's death I found his diary. Look out there's a mountain he yelled to the three pilots on his cockpit ride to Mazatlan. In Alex's journal too were dreams of rescue. He and John rescuing friends by hang glider. His dad saving him twice, once from a shark, once from a bear. That night I fell asleep smiling. Then Alex appeared in my dream, eating bread and honey on a mountain with his dad. Look out for bears, I shouted, and one appeared. Give it your honey, Alex but the bear's paws had already encircled the startled boy, ready to claw his soft young face. The rescuer dad sat paralyzed. My calls for help could not be heard by Alex's friends across the valley, the warden with the gun too far away. I turned back to face the torn image, but saw instead a gentle bear meander down the mountain. So much like the dream I had 26 years ago, My dying dad, helpless on my bedroom floor. A cougar attacking the house. Myself flying from door to door, frantically locking. Only to find on return to my room, a giant golden cat asleep beside my dad. Those are very interesting dreams that, that that you shared. And I'm really curious, like how you saw that when you woke up. See, the one from 26 years ago, I hadn't, I had written down, I had written down because it seemed like a significant dream. And my dad was not dying on my bedroom floor. He was dying in the hospital. So I had the dream when my dad was dying in the hospital, but the dream was me trying to save him from the cougar. You could say death. And it just, the end of the dream that the cougar is the giant golden cat sleeping beside my dad, the ferocious beast, turns out not to be ferocious. And in the Alex dream, the bear turns out not to be ferocious. They should be fearful animals. A friend of mine saw the dream, uh, a printed copy of this poem, and she was into Jungian analysis. And she thought it was a, a Carl Jung dream, definitely with these animals as symbolic figures. And she went on further to say that we who are living fear death but the dead are at peace. So she gave an analysis to my dream, which I rather liked. <laughs> and um, it begins with me reading Alex's diary. You know, because both my husband and I were teachers, when we took our kids on holidays, they had to either draw something in the evening or write something about their day. And so I want to again recommend writing. Write down the dream that you had, and more details will come as you write it. Yes, it's always interesting to uh, have someone share their dreams in a poem form. So that was actually really nice to sort of hear that. So next on episode 222, we have Emily Bevan, who is a writer and actor. In this clip, she talks about a dream of her dad, husband's grief dreams of her father, and her mom's grief dreams of her father. My dreams, I remember when my dad died, because it's because it's 10 years ago, I, I don't remember specific dreams I had around the time. But what I do remember is how they were very sensorially rich. And I remember like my dad used to wear a lot of cashmere, like the softest jumpers. And I've still got one actually that I was, you know, that I kind of occasionally pull out and have a cry on. And for a long time it smelt of him. And I had this other thing of his that smelt of him and then it accidentally went in the wash and that was awful because it was just that smell that kind of you know washing powder mixed with kind of dad mixed with a bit of the dog mixed with like just just his general you know a bit of coffee mixed in there but just this gorgeous smell and of poor monsieur of course and then um yeah i remember sort of the, the sort of being held by him and the kind of 
softness of his jumpers and the the smell it was that very sensorially rich dream and then then the sort of devastation of the realization when you wake up that I just remember having so many of those dreams just and being in floods of tears often in the middle of the night waking up and because in those early days you know it's just so raw and it hasn't sunk in and so that whole having to deal with that reality all over again when you wake up it's just just oh just awful awful and I haven't had one like that for a long time actually I think it's interesting so you didn't write any of the dreams down in your diary no because after dad died I stopped writing my diary the day sort of uh, there was the funeral um and I wrote about the funeral and what that was like and I wrote about a poem about spring which again is like probably a massive cliche but like dad died in the winter and then when spring came and like literally the the ground under our feet became firmer it was like this extraordinary thing of like regeneration and birds tweeting and like you know green lush towpaths popping up and I've never experienced the sense that you know my the seasons in such a meaningful way as I did after dad died and I was living here um, with my mum for a while um, in the countryside and so I was experiencing that you know nature in a kind of full-on way and we were walking the dog every day and I, I'd been walking the dog every day in the winter when it was biting cold and then yeah the seasons changed and it became spring and so I wrote about that a lot and again that became a quite a nice way to bookend the book to sort of that's sort of right at the end, um, that poem. And then I just stopped writing. I didn't want to write anymore. I kind of put the book away and then haven't kept a diary sort of ever since. So yeah, I didn't record any dreams. And I, but, but I, I did have many of them. Um, and the, the one I had most recently um, about dad, which wasn't a sort of a sensorial one, it wasn't about being held or anything. And I didn't wake up upset. It was a kind of just a very lovely dream, was I was at a nightclub of some kind and there were lots of different rooms and I was trying to work out how I was going to get home. And I and my dad was in a room with loads of other people sitting in a deck chair with a newspaper and he was there to take me home. <laughs> and all I knew was that he was just there. And it was just, I love the fact that it kind of it's a reflection of how far I've come, I think, that it was just cool. Dad was just there. He was going to take me home. He was just reading his paper and he was there. You know, he was just, you know there for me and when I was ready to leave he was going to drive me home and he always used to come and pick me up whenever I go to parties he always sort of practically didn't want me to go be like do you want me just to take you home now I could just take you back in the car he was quite protective but he would always be there outside the pub or you know outside a party to, to pick me up and so it was quite nice that he was sort of still there in his deck chair I'm not sure why he was in a deck chair in a nightclub and sort of overlooked that oh my god that's probably, probably doing a crossword I imagine um <laughs> That's nice. And it's nice to sort of, I guess, like talk about some of these these dreams because it's nice to hear some of the stories that go along with them, right? Because they are based yeah. a lot on like our longings, our memories, and some things that when we talk about like not wanting to forget these dreams, even though they may be kind of sometimes crazy or maybe you don't remember the full details, there's some of the feelings you do and it can bring up some of those memories and like his mm. clothes and the mm. smell and some things mm. that we, you know, we wouldn't normally talk about or think about. It sort of can bring that up, like him yeah. always being there before the party. Like, I love yeah. that. And I think that's the beauty of why I love talking about these dreams is I get to know their bond in a different way in your relationship. Yeah. In a and, and way. Yeah. And, and that's, that's it. Like that would be, that sums it up so well. Like dad was, he was such a kind of, um, you know, he'd do anything for me. Like my parents live two hours outside of London, but he'd sort of offered to drive me home on a Sunday night. You know, it wouldn't be a thing. He'd be like, oh, of course I'll drive you home. Just drive you four hours. <laughs> well, actually for you guys living in Canada, that's probably nothing. That's probably like popping to the shops. But um, but here, um, you know, that feels like quite a big distance, but he'd do it in a heartbeat. He'd be like, oh, of course, I'll, you know, you've forgotten something, I'll drive it back. Um, and so he was, and he was always sort of very much someone I'd lean on, uh, you know, when I needed advice and he was just such a sort of wonderful, protective father that, yeah, him waiting in a deck chair to take me home is is it really, that sort of sums it all up. It was interesting, my, my husband had a dream about dad shortly after we, well, must have been a good deal after we met, but he knew that my dad liked to play chess and he played chess a lot with my brother. And Billy had a dream where he and dad had a game of chess and, and dad was, and, and sorry, Billy was like, here, here you are, I'm finally getting to meet you. And they had a game of chess. And he was like, it was just this really lovely dream that he had. And I kind of felt obviously really sad that, you know, they never met each other, these two huge people in my life. And Billy came along, you know, quite soon after dad died actually, like a year later. But they had this dream. And so sort of weirdly in my head, 
sort of met each other in kind of weird, you know, dreamland. That's so amazing. So beautiful too. Isn't because, that lovely? Yes. Wow. Just a gentle dream. I'm not sure a lot happened. They just played a game of chess. Yeah, there was bonding. I'm not sure who won. They just bonded. They sat there together. It, was, it wasn't about winning or losing. It's <laughs> it wasn't about exactly. winning or losing. Even though so, both of them were quite competitive. Um, no, it was just, it was a, it was a really lovely just thing. And my mum, I was talking to my mum earlier on about her dreams about dad. And she was saying that she had a lot of dreams where they would be having these conversations about plans. And yeah, we're going to do this and we do that. And then she'd be like, oh no, you're dead. Oh no, we can't, we can't do that because you're dead. And they'd be sort of talking and then they both sort of realise, oh no, we can't, you know, which again feels like a kind of gentle letting go, kind of like a way of, I don't know, one foot in the future and one foot in the reality of like her situation. It's quite sort of lovely that she kind of kept seeing him in these dreams and they'd keep talking about the plans that they had and then, oh no, oh no, you're dead. Um, it's, yeah, sweet. I hadn't, I didn't know that until today, actually, until I asked her about it. Interesting. That type of dream is very, very common. Lots of people have that. Yeah, lots of people have that. Yeah, same thing. Planning for for stuff, and then just yeah. the the, re, the realization that oh, that's not happening, or you're not here, or no, no, like yeah. yeah. I mean, because it's where you're processing, isn't it? These dreams are where you're, you know, your subconscious just kind of trying to make sense of everything. Beautiful. I quite enjoyed this episode with Emily too. I kind of forgot that we did that one, but yeah, that's what I like about doing this wrap up episode as well. It's just just the highlights of like all the cool conversations we have when life just moves so quick. And sometimes we forget who we actually talk to because, you know, it feels like a distant memory sometimes, but just really good to reflect on that. So beautiful. Next, we have episode 223. Colin Campbell loved this episode is a writer and director for theater and film dreams of his two teenage children offered some beautiful insights on finding humor and joy and just the resilience of humans in general. So take a listen. You know, I've I've had a a bunch of different dreams. The most vivid one was an early one, and it was a very scary one. I I talk about it in the book. Uh, It's like a haunting nightmare. But in the dream, I'm at a Chinese restaurant, and I'm looking at the menu, and I'm trying to find dishes for both Ruby and Hart. But something's wrong with this restaurant. It's like decayed and, and the window's broken, the door's broken and I step inside uh, and I can't read the menu. So, you know, and I step inside and I see Hart and he's underneath a table in this like wreck of a restaurant and he's clutching the base of the table and he's terrified. He's terrified and alone. And then I realized in the dream that, that he's dead and that Ruby's dead and I, wait, and I woke up. That was like in the first week after the crash. Or maybe even the first night, I don't even remember. I think very early on. And that was a real, real nightmare that's stuck with me. That image of, of poor heart, you know. And I've had a lot of dreams where I'm talking to one of them and then, I, and then in the dream I remember, oh no, you're dead. That's happened to me a lot. So I'm like, you know, with Ruby, with heart. And I'm like, wait, something's wrong. Oh, right. Oh, right. You're, you're dead. This isn't real. And I've had a lot of dreams where I'm with one of them grieving the other one. So I'm with Hart and we're both grieving Ruby, or I'm with Ruby and we're both grieving Hart. And then again, in the dream, I remember, oh no, that's right. You're dead too. And I wake up. But I have had a couple of nice dreams, just little flashes where where we're laughing together. I don't have any specifics of those. (laughs) I guess I didn't wake up in a cold sweat. (laughs) But I, I woke up remembering, like, oh, right, I had a nice little moment with Ruby or with Hart, or we're just laughing. And one, they, one of them hugged me in one of the dreams, I remember, and that was nice. But like I said, most of the time, it's, it's tough. It's tough because I remember in the dream that they're gone. Yeah. All right, thank you, Colin, for coming on the podcast. And so next we have episode 224, Kathy Wagner, who is a writer and writing coach, and she shares a dream of her son. Um, absolutely. Um, certainly when he, when he was alive and in recovery, I did have recurring dreams about him relapsing and, and dying. Um, and I continued to have nightmares after he died for a period of time, one of which I wrote about in the book. And, and I, can, I can get back there, but, but the happier dreams. So I kind of have like three categories of dreams. One is nightmares which are certainly real and and thankfully they have subsided. I haven't really had any 
probably for a couple of years now. Um, but the first, like I said, the, after he passed, um, I had quite a few nightmares and I was having them before he passed as well. And then there's the everyday dreams, you know, where I think of him just um, hanging out with me, you know, in my dreams. And I think that that's my subconscious just not not bringing him into my world, but he is in my world, right? So he is reflected in my dreams. And interestingly, he's usually a child kind of between the ages of four and 10 when he appears in my dream. And I don't know whether that's because I feel like that's just a, a representation of an innocent, uh, joyful time for me or, you know, or, or what that is, but he's almost always a child um, in my dreams uh, where he's just hanging out as part of my dreams. And then there's the visitation dreams, and I've only had a few of those. And um, those are ones where I can touch him, I can feel him, I can smell him, he's telling me something. And the one that I remember most vividly occurred three nights after he passed. And he came to me, and I, and I was surprised because he was there. It was like he was standing right in front of me, and I could touch him, and he was solid. And I put my hands around his face, and I could feel his, like, fuzzy fuzzy cheek fuzz and I could smell him like his scent is you know and he had come up to me he was kind of he liked to move he was always moving and he did these goofy dances and he had quite a, a good sense of humor and so he came up to me and he said mom it's still me I'm still me and he, and, and he said see and and he did this really crazy silly dance that he does and he was laughing and and then I held his face and so it was like mom I'm still me I'm still me see and then I held him close and he said, and then he said, I gotta go now. And he, he backed away and he was gone. So that was kind of cool. And I have had at least two other dreams where I, that I would consider those visitation dreams where I could touch him like solidly and I knew he, but I can't remember what it was as vividly. So you skipped over the nightmares. I know it's not the most positive to talk about, but I think it's important to talk about because there's going to be other people who have nightmares that just want to sort of see maybe how you how you yeah. had it, your experience, but also how you look at it now, given where yeah. you are. I think that, and especially I think for those of us who have lost our children to traumatic circumstances, whether that was drug use or suicide or murder, there's... I mean, any sudden death of a child is traumatic, and I think nightmares are common. And it's processing them. I mean, if it's okay, I, I will read one short passage from my book that is about a dream. And what was interesting to me, um, as you'll find out, is not, not the dream itself, but what it meant to me in that moment um, in relation to my grief. And this, this dream I know came up because this was when I was home over Christmas that first year, just four months after Tristan passed. And it was a very stressful time for me. Christmas is not a good time uh, for new grievers, uh, I think a lot of us. So here we go. A few days after Christmas, I dreamed I was searching for Tristan in a crack house, trying to find him to bring him back to recovery to save him. I knew if I didn't find him soon, he would die. Only I knew where he was, so it was all on me. In my dream, the crack house looked like a party scene from Breaking Bad. Emaciated bodies lying amidst garbage, people shooting up or half-heartedly having sex or just staring at me with vacant eyes. I walked over these bodies, desperately searching for Tristan. I stumbled from room to room, growing more panicked with every second until finally I found him. I reached out to where he lay in a corner of the room, his eyes gazing lifelessly at me, his body already cold. Pain exploded and I woke up. I sifted through the nightmare in search of reality, urgently, as if Tristan's life depended on it. Oh, I thought to myself, taking deep breaths to slow my pounding heart. It's okay. I'm okay. He's already dead. And that was the worst part. Not the nightmare itself. That wasn't so different from many of the, night of the dreams I'd had. What scared me most was the deep feeling of relief I had when I woke and remembered that Tristan was dead. And then I felt anguish and guilt for, feel, for being relieved. I spent most of that day in bed crying, feeling like a terrible mother. I thought that somehow I must subconsciously be relieved that Tristan was gone. Yes, some things seemed easier now than when Tristan was in the depths of his addiction. It was easier for me to manage my own pain than to watch him in pain. But that wasn't what my relief had been about. It would make sense in a way to be relieved that I didn't have to fear for him or try to save him anymore but that wasn't quite right either. All day I wrestled with that feeling of relief until I finally understood it. I hadn't been relieved that Tristan was dead in my dream. I had been relieved when I woke that I didn't have to live through his death again, 
that I hadn't somehow been swept back to the moment of his death. Instead, I was here, months later, still in a sea of pain, but inching my way towards an unknown shore. That was legitimate relief. Thank you for the share. Next, we have 225, Nikki Wilson. She's a model and owner of Mira Denim. She shares dreams of her birds. Take a listen. Then when I left my bathroom window open, they all flew out and I only found three and I felt so guilty. Like I was in tears because they won't survive if they're out there by themselves because they're conyers. So they're really small and they're not native and there's other birds will attack them. So I was like dreaming about finding them and dreaming about them being okay. And I think that was, you know, my subconscious trying to deal with the fact that it was kind of my fault that if they're dead, you know, I left my bathroom window open. <laughs> it was actually really hard. I still feel quite guilty about it. And I'm still on the Facebook pages looking to see if anyone's found my birds. And this was October last year. So the likelihood that they're still out there is pretty slim, um, but there's always hope. And I do still dream about them flying around and me trying to catch them. <laughs> it was nice having Nikki back on the podcast as a return guest and sort of seeing how far her journey has come. Lastly, in episode 226, we have Roberta Kurloff, who is a speaker, community activist, former attorney and author. She shares a dream of her partner. I could feel my body suddenly moving and that I had no control over it, uh, shaking a little. And then I could feel a hand reaching out to me and suddenly I was flying. First, I, I would try to figure out flying on a pad or something and, and then it just, it opened up and, it, and I just flew and I flew over cities and, and countryside and I would talk with Nancy uh, about her experiences and she was sad on some level but also enjoying like a little kid she was always a little kid in some ways and um, she and she was enjoying playing and, and communicating with me and so I had a number of those type of dreams okay wow that was 11 episodes that we have completed this year and I think it's amazing of all the different people that have continued to want to come on and have come on to just sort of share their stories and be honest with us and be able to share some of their dreams and help normalize that. So I really appreciate all the people who have come on this last year and we are looking forward to all the new people that are going to be coming on this new year. Yeah, I just want to thank all the cool guests. We had such a good, varied collection of guests, different folks with different experiences and all different kind of insights to share around grief and navigating the grief and dreaming experiences that pop into their life. And just, again, want to thank everybody for the time that they spent to come on and make space for us in their schedule and just be able to show so much vulnerability in coming to talk about things that are really hard. And so just unending gratitude on all of that. So thank you so much to all our listeners too for tuning in as well as the folks who share their story. And so 2024, here we come. And so we're on a mission to continue normalizing these dreams within the grieving process. And so stay tuned so for some more episodes coming up. <laughs>